character studies are always encouraging to those of us who read and study the Bible. We can see in the lives of real people what it means to be a servant of God. When we study the lives of many of these good people, we recognize that they face the same kind of challenges that you and I face, but we see them facing with faith, courage, conviction, and character. We study the lives of some people like Daniel, and this morning we want to study the life of Daniel because there's some desperately needed character traits that Daniel possessed that you and I need to possess as well. As I think about Daniel, well, the first thing that I, comes to my mind is that of courage. Here's a man who faced challenges And I am sure that there was some fear in his life with regards to that challenge. But he overcame it with courage. He was likewise a man of commitment. He made a commitment when he was a young man that he would serve God come what may. And he did. Till he was a very old man. He was also a man of conviction. He didn't vacillate, he did not go from one direction to another, nor was he influenced by whoever was the king on the throne, or whoever might try to persuade him to do otherwise. This lesson we're going to explore the character of Daniel, and we're going to see that Daniel is a positive role model. For those of you who are young, Daniel started out very young and a faithful servant of God. Daniel is likewise a role model for those of us who are now a little older in life. Because while we may have been at one time devoted and committed and courageous, God expects us to continue that throughout our lives. Here's what we want to study this morning. There are four things that you will see in the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. You will see Daniel exhibiting his courage as he refused to eat the king's food. We will go then to chapter 2 and we will see that he showed courage when he revealed the king's visions and dreams. When we will go to chapter 5... And we will see Daniel exhibiting courage as he read the handwriting on the wall for King Belshazzar. And then finally, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to see Daniel reject an unrighteous law given by the king. Let's take a few minutes now and let's explore this. If you'll open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1... I want to give you a little bit of background so you can appreciate what we find in verse 8. Daniel had been taken captive to serve as a wise man in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who was, as we would say, king of kings. He was the dominant ruler of the earth. He conquered many nations, he conquered many peoples, and many people looked to him for sustenance as well. He came against the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, in 606 B.C. 
It was at that time when Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were taken captive with him. We learn from the text that Daniel was made a eunuch. Now, I don't know how many of you have thought about that, but you imagine here's a young, strong man, young man. And here he is, he is emasculated of his maleness as a very young man because the king had commanded such. He was also prescribed a regimen, a diet, and uh, that training was to continue for some three years as he prepared to serve as one of Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. If you'll was, listen with me, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 as we see these points being made. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted with wisdom, and possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, and in whom had the ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever what would have happened had any one of these young men had said, I'm not going to do this. For them to stand before the ruler of the chief of eunuchs, Ashpenaz, and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to eat this food. I'm not going to learn this language. I'm not going to participate in this. I don't think any of us have any doubt what would happen. They could have been killed. In fact, Ashpenaz himself, if you will notice, feared for his own life when Daniel asked not to have to eat the food. He said in verse 10, he says, I fear my Lord the King, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the King. He said, Daniel, I can't permit you to do something that will cause me to lose my life. Often the King would have an anger fit that would cause him to have all of the wise men killed if they didn't do what he said. In fact, when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see that exact thing happen, that he has given a command for them to kill all. But we get to verse 8. This is the key verse. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, I want to key on the word purpose for just a minute. The word purpose means to make your mind up beforehand. That is a person who has already thought about, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. You know, I can give a good illustration in the Bible. 
2 Corinthians 9, 7, he said, so, so let each one gives as he purposes in his heart. He's planned in his heart. This is what I'm going to give. This is what I'm going to do. Daniel had said, I am not going to defile myself with these things that come from the king. You know, that's really what you and I are supposed to do as we study our Bibles together. We're supposed to gather God's Word into our heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You put God's Word there and then you won't sin. But I want to key on that second word, defile. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You see, the king's food and the king's drink would have defiled Daniel. There were very strict dietary laws that we could read about in the book of Leviticus. There were certain kinds of foods that the Jewish Hebrew young men were not supposed to participate in. In fact, their meat was limited to the food that was come from an animal that had a parted hoof and chewed the good. That was the only ones. They couldn't eat a pig. They couldn't eat other kinds of animals. They were limited with regards to the fish that they could eat as well. Daniel determined he was not going to participate. You can see that very clearly illustrated in the life of Peter. Acts 10, he's in a vision. And he's going to see a sheet let down from heaven. Peter is told in verse 13, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I hadn't done that all my life. Daniel hadn't either, and Daniel wasn't about to start for the king or for anyone else. Now, you young people in the audience, I want you to think about Daniel. Here's a young man. He's already been emasculated. He's already been mistreated, and he is now told, you're going to eat this food, you're going to drink this drink. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a situation where someone is going to want you to defile yourself. Maybe they want you to drink a little bit of alcohol with them. Maybe they want you to participate in some intimacy that's only reserved for marriage. Make up your mind beforehand that you will do like Daniel, that you will refuse to do the things that you ought not do. Now, second of all, he revealed the king's dreams. When you get to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has some extremely disturbing dreams. I don't know about you, but I dream frequently. And sometimes you wake up, and if it is what we sometimes will refer to as a nightmare, you wake up with uh, the sweats, you wake up feeling like something is wrong. But you see, this is a dream that God gave. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign... Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. This is something that he couldn't get over. Sometimes if you wake up and you dream that someone in your family has died and you pick up the phone, you call them, you realize they're there and you say, okay, it was just a bad dream. Nebuchadnezzar 
had these dreams and he couldn't sleep. There was something wrong. So what he did, he called all the wise men and said to them, here's what I expect you to do. I expect you to tell me what I have dreamed and then I expect you to give me the interpretation of it. To listen to the wise men in chapter 2 and verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar. You've asked us to do something that no one can do. But the king was not satisfied. In fact, he was so adamant that he said, If you don't do that, I am going to kill every one of you and I'm going to make your houses a heap of ashes. And so he issues the order, Kill all the wise men. But Daniel came in, he gave the dream, he interpreted the dream, and Daniel made it clear. O king, it's not me, I don't have this power, this ability. No man has this ability, he said the same thing that the astrologers did. But it is the God of heaven who reveals these things to you. Why did it take courage to interpret that dream? When you look at Daniel to say, well, all he had to do was just tell him what it meant. But you've got to think. Nebuchadnezzar's already ordered the killing of all the wise men. We saw that in verses 12 and 13. They even sought Daniel and his companions to kill them, verse 13. See, here's the way the dream went. Nebuchadnezzar saw this great image, had a head of gold, a chest of silver, a belly of brass, legs of iron, and the feet of part iron and part clay. He also saw an image like a rock cut out of a mountain, but cut out without hands. It struck that great image on its feet and it fell and crashed. And what Daniel's interpretation was, very simple. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is going to come to an end. It's never a wise thing to look at a man who has your life in his hand and say to him, You're about to meet your end. Not only did he prescribe and interpret that this would be the end of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but the fact that there would be a kingdom that would arise that would never be destroyed, one that would be greater than Nebuchadnezzar's. He tells them in the days of that fourth king, verse 44, the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall... Never be destroyed. And its kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it will break in pieces 
and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Of course, we know that's the church today. But Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and Daniel interpreted it for him. Now, how would the king react? What would the king say? Would he order Daniel's death? Verse 47, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. Now, I want you to go over with me to Daniel chapter 4 for just a minute. See, that's not the only dream that Daniel interpreted. Nebuchadnezzar continues to dream, and this time he's going to have another dream, and it involved a great tree. I want you to listen to me in verses 10 through 14 of chapter 4. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beast of the get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Oh, you can see that huge tree. And the order is to chop the tree down. You don't just chop it down. You cut off its branches. You don't just cut off its branches. You strip the leaves. You don't just strip the leaves. You take the fruit from it as well. You do know who the great tree represented? Nebuchadnezzar. Again, Daniel has to tell him, You are the tree. This dream is about you. This one bothered Daniel when he had to interpret it. As he's trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen, verse 19, he said he was astonished for a time and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord made the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. Oh, I wish it wasn't about you, but it is. Such could have meant his death. Daniel refused to eat the king's food, Daniel revealed the king's dreams. Number three, Daniel read the handwriting on the wall. Sometimes when you're reading the book of Daniel, you read and you read Nebuchadnezzar, 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 and you think that the whole book's about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, but not so. After Nebuchadnezzar was 
Belshazzar, the descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a very interesting thing that we read about in Daniel chapter 5. I want you to notice with me, I, I don't have time to give you all the background, but he's given a drunk party. And they brought in the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem. Vessels of the Lord's house. But what they're doing with them is desecrating them by getting drunk and singing to their gods. Notice with me verse 4. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Oh, what do you see? You see all these nobles, the king, sitting around getting drunk, drinking wine. And then there appeared on the wall a human hand, and it was writing something. Look at verses 5 and 6. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared on and wrote opposite to the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his hip were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. Very vivid description. Here's a man who's been laughing, who's been partying, who's been singing to his gods, and now all of a sudden a hand appears. I would dare say that if a hand appeared on the wall up here, a real human hand, and started writing something, it would get everybody's attention. And you may begin to think, maybe God has something to say to us, and this calls our knees to knock together. I don't think this is a very enjoyable place to be right now. Daniel interpreted the message of the writing. And for Belshazzar, it wasn't a very encouraging message either. Look at verses 25 through 28. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tiko, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Wow, can you, you see those words? Mene, mene. You count, you count. Time's up for you. Your kingdom is going to be brought to an end. It's going to be finished. Tikal. Got a set of scales here. You've been weighed. You didn't measure up. You don't have what it takes to serve as king before God. Then this word, Eupharsin, from which Perez comes. They're going to divide your kingdom. They're going to give part of it to the Medes, part of it to the Persians. And very quickly, let's move to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel has rejected the king's food, refused the king's food. 
He's revealed the king's dreams. And then he's read the handwriting on the wall that didn't sound good for the king. And when you get to Daniel 6, Daniel is now an old man. Probably about 80 years old. Just like we've said that when you look at Daniel chapters 1, 2, and 3, Daniel's a young man. And oh, what a great example is he for young people. What about us when we get a little older? Daniel's now an old man and during his life, he's proved himself to be honorable in whomever's kingdom he served. Whether it was he was serving Nebuchadnezzar or now is he is serving Darius. Listen to verses 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give accounts to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Listen carefully. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of the excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel is such a good man, such a wise man, such a proficient man, that... Darius said, you know what? He's a good fellow. I can trust him. I know that if I put him in charge, he'll take care of things. But Daniel had political enemies. And they tried to find something that they could find fault with him. You know what the problem was? They couldn't find a thing. What they wanted to do was to make Daniel look bad before the king. And when you try to find something, you can't find it. Daniel's not that kind of man. He's the kind of man that every time he gave an account for an amount of money, he gave an account for it. When Daniel was responsible for doing something, he did it. Daniel is now an old man and he has earned his reputation. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I want you to think about, here's a man almost eight years old, he's earned a reputation because of how he's lived. Verses 4 and 5, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel unless... We find it concerning the law of his God. You want me to tell you something else they learned about Daniel? Daniel was a godly man. He was a religious man. He was a faithful man, not only to the king, 
but to God. And they all knew it. You know, it's one thing to build a reputation in the community for being honest and honorable and paying your debts and doing the right thing. And it's a totally another thing for everybody to know that you are a Christian and that you've lived a Christian life all your life. That's Daniel. What are they going to do? They're going to try to create a situation where you have a law of man that contradicts or is in conflict with God's law. They knew that's the only way they would be able to get Daniel. But Daniel rejected the authority of an unrighteous law. There's some things that no law giver on this earth has a right or authority to command you. Listen to Daniel 6 and verse 10. They persuaded Darius to make a law that no one could pray to his God for a period of time. Now here's Daniel's response. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Oh, but there's a law now. You're not supposed to pray to God. That didn't change Daniel. He did what he had done all of his life. You see, he actually started out purposing he would not defile himself, and here he is now. He's still not defiling himself. Obviously, I know you know the story. He was cast into the den of lions. And all those lions were unable to tear Daniel apart. And Daniel came out of that lion's den unscathed with no sorts of harm whatsoever because God protected him. And the king was thrilled that Daniel made it out well. The truth is, you and I are never under obligation to obey man's law above God's law. If there's ever a time when God's law says don't do something or do something, and man's law says opposite, we obey God. Acts 5, verses 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now here for summary... One must make a decision to serve God before he's confronted with temptation. You know, when we study the Bible, we have to realize that it's it's there to provide us guidance and direction so that when we find ourselves in temptation, we know how to respond. When somebody is seeking the truth, we have to tell them the truth regardless of how they will receive it. Daniel did not know how Nebuchadnezzar would react 
to interpreting the dream of the great image. Nor did he know how he would react when he interpreted for him the vision of this great tree being chopped down. But you tell the truth regardless. You never know when you walk in the pulpit and you preach a sermon when the details of it is going to step on somebody's toes. But you tell people the truth regardless of how they will receive it. Because the message is not yours, it's God's. Number three, no one has the right to overrule God's laws. There's not ever been a president, a prime minister, a dictator, a ruler or a king who has authority over God. And God's will must be obeyed at all times. And then one final one. Sometimes there are consequences to doing what is right. Daniel was determined to do what was right regardless of what the king said. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told to bow down to that great image of Nebuchadnezzar, refused to do so. And they recognized, you may throw us into the fiery furnace, but we'll still come out. Daniel, we're going to throw you into the lion's den. That's a, that may be true, but I'm going to come out. God will take care of us, maybe not physically always, but spiritually always. Daniel was a man of courage, commitment, and conviction. Why not be like Daniel? Make it your aim to serve God whether you are a young person or you are an old person. And I really think that it's, it's valuable to tie today's lesson with last week's. You know, last week we concluded our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 11, verse 9, going through chapter 12 and verse 1. With the clincher being verse 1 where he says... Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Folks, particularly young people, listen to me. You need to step up and be a Daniel in your generation. You may not be the only one. Daniel had three friends who stood just as solid and just as strong with him. And then continue to live that life till you get to be an old man with white hair and, and difficulties start coming. As Solomon observed, what will you choose? Now, if you're young, you're old, or anywhere in between, Right now is the time to make your commitment to serve God acceptably. If you're not a Christian, believe on Jesus Christ with all of your heart. Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him and be baptized. Lord willing, tonight we'll look at that a little more in detail. And then if you are a child of God and you look and you see, I've not been living up to the life that God has asked me to live. Let's pray with you. 
Would you come while together we stand and sing?